Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Mickey and Minnie, soap and water. Those are just a few examples of things that are better together. And this week, I'm adding travel and food to that list. This is chapter 198 of the WCBS Author Talks podcast. I'm Lisa Chankovich, and coming your way, we highlight a book from National Geographic featuring ideas for 19 years of weekend trips. Then we get the lowdown on some really unique culinary experiences from the folks behind Gastro Obscura. If you're anything like me, as soon as you're back from a trip, you start thinking about where you want to go next. Personally, I think the research and planning is just as fun as the trip itself. That's why I love 1000 Perfect Weekends, the new travel book from National Geographic. It's packed with tons of great ideas for short trips close to home and halfway around the world. Even if you aren't going anywhere anytime soon, you'll at least get to travel via armchair. I spoke with senior editor Allison Johnson. This gorgeous book comes really at the perfect time. A lot of people, after a year or more of being locked up, are itching to get away. And I actually recently read that some people are willing to take on debt in order to go on vacation. So I guess my first question to you is, with all the different ways to travel, why break this down into weekend-sized trips? We really were looking at this as how can most people get away most easily? And We all have a lot going on in our lives between work, between our family obligations, kids, everything that happens in life. And so sometimes the only chance you have to get away is a weekend. And whether that's a quick Saturday, Sunday or three day or four day weekend, it's really sometimes the only time you get to travel. So we wanted to reach out to all those busy people out there in the world and give them options to take vacations. That being said, the weekends throughout this book span the globe. So while many of them are in the United States and often three or four hours from what might be your hometown, some of them are around the world. And so we were thinking about those international travelers who maybe are traveling for work. Maybe you have a long layover in one city on your way to another or you're taking an extended vacation and you have two or three extra days, these are also great ideas to tack on to a longer vacation. So it's really the jumping off point to short vacation trips that you can take. 
Can you really grow to love a place in just a couple of days? I firmly believe you can. My husband and I, we have two kids at home. So when we get away, it's often these quick adventures, these three-day trips. We spent three days in Charleston. It became one of my favorite cities in the United States. Um, On a trip to Israel myself, when I was younger with my family, we were there for 10 days. But the place that stands out to me is Haifa in Israel. And I was only there for two days. And, you know, across a 10-day vacation that that two-day trip has such a stronghold in my mind. You really can get to know a place really easily because you're condensing your time. And that means you're seeing the best that the city has to offer. You just need to know where to look first. And that's what this book allows you to do. It guides you to those great places within each place. Now, a thousand places is a lot of places, but I can't even imagine how difficult it must have been to whittle down these destinations to, to the even that number, which, you know, on the surface is, what's the math? How many years of weekends is that? 19 years of weekends. <laughs> how did you decide which places, which experiences made this list? So we had a great team of writers, um, seasoned National Geographic travel writers who have been around the world, really helped curate this content. And what we wanted to do was find weekends for every type of traveler. And that really helped us figure out the destinations along the way. So each chapter is broken up by the type of trip you might want to take. So if you're looking for a beach vacation, we have beach vacations, mountain getaways, places you can unplug from your phone and from your computer. We have places for adrenaline junkies. We have a whole chapter on enabled adventures, which are ability-friendly destinations. Um, We have romantic destinations. We have ski destinations. So whatever type of traveler, we tried to hit them all. And that really helped us to finalize this list because once you narrow it down to the type of traveler you are, we really could find the most iconic places that you can see a lot and do a lot in just two to three days. I love how inclusive these trips are because I think a lot of people, when they think of, you know, bucket list trips or like places they want to see, it's really geared towards one type of person. It's a, a, you know, somebody who can get around really easily, is not dragging around kids, who maybe doesn't have mobility issues, isn't a little older and gets tired a little quicker. So I'm glad to see that there's really a trip for everyone in this book. Exactly. We, you know, we had retirees in mind. We had enabled adventures, as I mentioned before. And that chapter in particular, we, our writer has a husband who is wheelchair bound. So she really has firsthand experience of going to places that weren't accessible to her family. And so I love that we were able to include an entire chapter of options for all different types of abilities um, when you're traveling from everything from Sesame Place, which is a great theme park for children who have sensory issues. They are the first theme park to really provide sensory options for children to a personal favorite of mine is Park City's National Ability Center. They create adaptive sports winter and summer from skiing to biking to rafting for people of all different abilities. And I think it's really important that we recognize that not every traveler has the same abilities as each other. And so we really wanted to cover the breadth of what traveling can be and look like. Since I have you on the line, I figure I should ask you, what are the do's and don'ts of a weekend getaway? Don't try to cram in too much. Recognize that you only have two or three days. And so you want to create a loose enough itinerary to give you flexibility, but pick one or two things to do a day. And remember, you can always go back there. So if you miss something, you can get back to it. 
I think the definite do's is take in everything and be in the moment there. You only have a few days. So maybe if you like hiking, hike in the morning. If you love food, book a foodie tour and have someone guide you to the best destination. Rely on the experts to really get you to where you need to go. So we have a a long Thanksgiving weekend coming up. Where are you going? Anywhere special? Well, I'll be in Richmond, Virginia with my in-laws, and it's actually one of the cities in the book. It's a beautiful city. It has some old-time charm to it, and it's becoming a really popular food destination. So I'm looking forward to getting out and trying a few restaurants, and they actually have a lot that have allowed for more open-air dining considering the pandemic we're in, that it's going to be very scenic and lovely during the Thanksgiving holiday with all the fire pits going and the heaters, and I'm really looking forward to it. Man, I can't wait to get back out there. It's going to be exciting when we can travel more. (laughs) We've been talking with Allison Johnson. She's the senior editor of the new National Geographic book, A Thousand Perfect Weekends. Thank you for sharing some great tips and some great places. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So once you decide on a place to go, you've got to figure out where you're going to eat when you're there. That's where Gastro Obscura comes in, packed with hundreds of foodie adventures spanning all seven continents and all 50 states. Odds are you'll find something to please every palate. Beer made from fog and chili? Check. A Nigerian berry that's a thousand times sweeter than table sugar? Check. And if the book's title sounds familiar, it's a spin-off of the wildly popular Atlas Obscura books. I chatted with co-editor Dylan Thuris. What inspired this foodie version of the popular Atlas Obscura guide? You know, the idea behind Atlas Obscura was always this notion that you didn't need to get on a plane or travel for thousands of miles to find something incredible, something that like could really surprise you that had a great story to tell that you could find it often in in your own backyard. And I think with that in mind, we started to think about other ways to tell stories about place, uh, about history. uh, And it just became obvious that, you know, looking basically down at the plates in front of us, that food was this incredible way to tell these stories. So we, we wanted to do the same thing that we did with Atlas, with Gastro, and we reached out to our community and said, Send in incredible dishes, ingredients, restaurants that you think uh, should be celebrated, um, but people don't know about. And and that's how it all began. And I love that you don't have to travel to find these things because, you know, automatically being from New York City, I flipped to the to the back to the index to see what sort of little hidden gems I didn't know about. And I actually was really surprised that there's one place you mentioned that I have eaten at. And I thought, oh, wow, I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> Where was that? 
Uh, it's the, the the little place with the little old Ukrainian ladies at the, 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 the church down in the East Village. Oh, yeah, 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 sure. Uh, that's great. Yeah, no, New York still has a lot of great stuff in it. There's um, one of the examples I sometimes give around, like, surprising food locations. I don't know if you've ever been to a place called the Ganesh Temple in Flushing, Queens, but it's a beautiful Hindu temple. And it's worth visiting just for the architecture alone. So it could be almost an atlas place just on its own. But then in the basement, it's got one of the best dosa canteens that you're going to find, I would say, certainly anywhere in New York, probably anywhere in the country, maybe anywhere in the world. And so it's a good example of how sort of hidden right in front of us there are these delightful food surprises. I've definitely put that place on my list because I grew up in Queens and had no idea it existed. So the next time I go for a visit, <laughs> I'm going to try to swing it's by. A good, it's a good stop. Yeah. So I think with a lot of these places, for a lot of people, they're going to be different within them, what they're normally used to eating or places they're they're not so sure about going. How do people kind of get over that maybe small fear that oh, I might not be welcome if I walk in those doors or, or maybe it's not something that I know how to handle myself and is it just just a matter of these people are happy to see you just walk in yeah i mean i think i think there's a couple of answers to that i think the one thing is you know just to recognize the foods you're comfortable with or uncomfortable with is is always really just relative to where you're from i mean i i grew up in minnesota i have scandinavian uh heritage so we eat a lot of lutefisk and lutefisk to most people is a, a fairly terrifying dish it's basically dried fish that soaked in lye. There's a period where it's poisonous and would kill you to eat it. And then you wash all the lye out and it sort of makes like fish jelly is it? not a bad way to describe it. Um, and so, you know, that's fine. You don't have to like everything. You don't have to, but just to recognize that it's, it's sort of all relative and, and there is no kind of place of normalcy in the world of, of food. Uh, and then, you know, to just be respectful of a place. I mean, most places that are serving food uh, are, are doing it specifically to serve food and they, you know, they're, they're set up to welcome visitors. You know, if you uh, want to get a, a, an amazing taste of Russian, Uzbeki, uh, Kazakhstani foods, you can go to the Brighton Bazaar and no one is going to be upset that you don't necessarily know what these ingredients are. You're examining the back of a jar with a careful eye trying to understand what's in it. These, you know, uh, grocery stores, restaurants, uh, tea houses, these are places meant for hospitality. And so often, uh, you know, I think it's just about sort of being okay, not knowing. It's okay to not know. It's okay to not have all the answers. You can always research later and you can always ask someone there and say, what is this? Uh, can you tell me about it? Because I think people are happy uh, to share their own cultural heritage and their own kind of special flavors and dishes. And so I, I think it's, um, it's well worth it's well worth trying to get over that little bit of fear. So this book is coming out after a time when a lot of us have been doing a lot of armchair traveling. Were you able to go out and and research some of the places in this book or did COVID kind of keep you from doing that? A little bit of both. And we started working on it before COVID. Um, and I mean, one of the beauties, as you sort of alluded to about living in New York, is you can actually travel just in the five boroughs. And, and taste dishes and ingredients and things from, from really all over the world. Also, you can order a lot of things online these days. So sometimes if something is, is really hard to get, you might still be able to get uh, a little jar of it via Amazon. So we managed to do a lot of, uh, you know, some, some tasting in, in the process, but we also leaned on our community 
to say, tell us about dishes that maybe, you know, you can only get in Palestine or maybe you can only get in uh, Uzbekistan and, and, and tell us sort of what makes this dish special and, and help us understand uh, why it kind of matters to that region and, and, and your background. So that was another way in which we sort of found uh, these places. I wish I could say we traveled to all seven continents. Uh, not quite, but, but, you know, there's still time. Yes, there is. And, you know, well, you must have had so many submissions. How did you decide what went into the book and what didn't? Or is there maybe a volume two on the way? Uh, unclear. Maybe there could definitely be a volume two. Uh, I think we, we basically look with an eye towards what is, what is a really surprising story. What is something that has a kind of moment of delight or wonder in it? And then we sort of mapped that to the world. So about 50% of the book probably came in through um, our community suggestions. And about the other 50%, we went out and hunted down and said, we really want to find some interesting foods in this region, or we want to kind of expand this story that we just got a, a, little, a little bit of. And so, yeah, it was a kind of a process of, of mapping food traditions uh, to the world. What's your favorite out there mention in this book? What is my favorite out there mention? I mean, so there's all kinds of interesting stuff in the book. One of the things that I think is interesting in the, is the way that foods can kind of, uh, two food cultures can crash into each other and create new things, totally kind of uh, in, incredible combinations. And so, you know, one thing you see that has done this is, is strangely spam. Spam has kind of traveled around the world and, and, been added to and changed cuisines all over the place. So Spam is incredibly popular in Hawaii. It was brought there by GIs during World War II. Uh, and Spam masubis are kind of this delicious Spam sushi. But you'll see the same thing in South Korea because GIs traveled there for the Korean War in the 50s. And, you know, basically this black market in trade for American army food was established because there was food shortages in, in, in Korea. And so what they ended up getting from the soldiers was, you know, ham, hot dog, beans, American cheese, spam. And then all that got combined with traditional South Korean uh, ingredients like kimchi and noodles and vegetables and chili paste and made this this delicious stew called Buddha Jige, or sometimes called army-based stew. And in fact, it was kind of spam was uh, illegal all the way until the 1980s because it was sort of considered a black market uh, food until a Korean company started making it. So I think Buddha Jige is, is a good example. It's also delicious. Uh, it's a great example of sort of the way that, that food cultures crash into each other, often under unfortunate circumstances, but then interesting dishes come out of it. And those dishes come to have their own identity and their own kind of uh, uh, cultural meaning in the world. Who knew spam would be illegal somewhere in this world? <laughs> it should, probably it should be illegal more places but, uh, <laughs> but uh, i'm from minnesota where uh, it was invented so i've got a soft spot for it well dylan thurs i could talk to you all day about this but i know you have to run because you have a whole bunch of other people who want to talk to you about this great new book <laughs> gastro obscura thank you for your time today thanks for having me it was great talking to you And that's where we close the book on this chapter. Next time around, it's a story about second chances set in a local library during a blizzard. Trust me, it'll warm your heart. Until then, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books. I'm Lisa Chernkovich.